cut me down just a little bit there. We're going to be speaking on the subject with a ministry with a purpose. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers, the workers, are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his vineyard. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus was out in Nazareth, or he had came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as he was his, Jesus' custom, he was in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And somebody said, well, Jesus didn't go to church. Well, read your Bible. And stood up for to read. He read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. And as Jesus spoke in verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to, he, Jesus was sent to preach deliverance to the captives. By the way, there's a bunch of people in here captive to a whole lot of things. Just know Jesus wants to set you free. And the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Last week, I told you and read, and I'm going to read it again this week. Last week, I talked about the giving side. Uh, was anybody in question where I stood on the giving side biblically as last week? I don't think so. I think I was pretty clear, don't you? Well, what about on the ministering side, the, the servant side? Jesus said he came not to be ministered unto. How many of you look for the church, what a church can just do for you? You see, that's not the why Jesus came. He didn't come looking for a church to please him. He came looking for a church that he could minister and that uh, the church he was establishing. You see, Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to actually minister. Last week or maybe the week before, Charles Roselle, he called me. He was coming up from Leesburg, Florida. And there was a conference in Atlanta, and, and uh, Jack went, Vanderswart and Ed Jenkins, on behalf of our clinic and on behalf of the food ministry. They were asked to speak. And Charles said, Mike, guess what? I had prostate cancer. Now, he's up in his 70s now. And he said, we caught it early, and God has healed me. I'm free. I'm going to say this because I can say it now. Pauline's now saying it. I haven't been saying it. Some of you have been mad because you say, well, preacher, you just don't say anything. You're right. I don't say anything just because you want to know. You're so doggone curious. You won't know everything. I say exactly what that family says because then it's public. Terry's in fourth stage of prostate cancer that has slipped out into his bone and possibly elsewhere. It is not curable. It is treatable. How long? Only God knows. Right now, he's back in the hospital in Rockdale County. They're doing, a, a, they've already done an MRI. They're doing a bone scan. 
Monday, I think it is, or Tuesday, they're bringing, put him on fluids and, and give him some additional blood. Uh, Terry's situation is very serious. I'm talking about very serious. You've ever prayed for what Jesus did here in divine healing because humanly, Terry will not be healed. Divinely, he will be and can be. But now listen. You guys in here that think you're too bad to go to the doctor, you say, well, I won't start till I'm 50. Could be too late. Terry's 52. Start now. All you got to do is go get a physical and tell them you want to do your PSA test. That's with your blood test. You say, well, when should I start right now? Right after this service. There's a guy here going to be, no, I'm just <laughs> Scared some of you to death, didn't I? Well, see, I've got a PSA issue, and I've had it for years, and I go to a urologist every year now after going and also getting a physical. So don't get too macho with me. It isn't macho to be down in fourth stage of prostate cancer. It's just not macho. Well, back to Charles. Charles and I, how many of you went with us to to Leesburg, raise your hand, okay? There's got, there was a 20 or 30 went with us to Leesburg to see on their four-acre campers. They've got more land now, but at that time they did. And all, in his book, Meeting Needs and Sharing Jesus, I, I cut my teeth on that, on vision for what God wanted us to do here. Well, he's come out with another book, and I, was flipped, I opened it up, hadn't read the whole thing, and it's entitled, It's a God Thing. Charles Roselle said, I'm on, I'm on a list, I think it's eight, yes, eight ministries in this book. On campus of Leesburg, Florida Church, they've got about 175 different ministries. I'm just going to list you eight out of the box. Charles said in his book, and I quote, the men's residence, what's the men's residence? At the time we went to visit, it was a six-month drug alcohol rehab residence on campus. Now it's up to a year. We don't need to do that because we've got Damascus Road. They're doing an excellent job, but you know what? We need to be praying for them, that God will bless them, like God's blessing us and like God wants to bless everybody. But on Leesburg, they, he said in his book that the first major ministry evangelism effort at Leesburg, God used the men's residence ministry to shape the congregation into a caring body of believers. They have, second of all, a children's shelter. And by the way, I've been to every one of these things I'm sharing with you and some of these people that raise their hand. The children's shelter home is where they help reach abused and hurting children. The past 27 years, they've served over 3,000 children in a very strategic, a very abusive child life way, and they're protecting them. They have a pregnancy care center helping young ladies, even as low as 11 years old of girls that come to them pregnant. They have a women's care center, which is the opposite side. As Butch will tell you, the guys have a lot of stuff out here, but you ladies that get hooked on drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, there's, there are some facilities, but they, there's not a lot. So Leesburg stepped up, and they have on campus, not the best place right across from the men's, but it, it, they have an invisible wall there. 
they will shoot you if you cross that wall. Anyway, the women's centers where women where they're helped to regain their dignity and self-respect and, and get some help for their addiction. We walked in a medical clinic on Leesburg campus when we up here, Ed and I, were just kind of verbalizing what to do. And now today, how many years have we been at the medical clinic? Eight years. It just seems like it just flew by. But God's blessed you along with a man that, that we, they, they meet and, and meet needs of people who don't have insurance and, and uh, they have to be a certain uh, status and, and their, give, I mean, their money and stuff for the year. But we do have that on, on board. Uh, they have a First Academy of Leesburg. You say, well, preacher, would you like to see a Christian school here? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what I want to, to start with worse than anything, and that's a, a daycare center. I believe we need a good Christian daycare center here on campus. We got the building over there ready. It's just we owe a bunch of money here. A counseling ministry where professional counselors help in anger management and domestic violence and so many other issues. A thrift store. Their thrift store does almost a half a million dollars a year. Do you know that's what the budget of this church is? And by the way, the budget of this church ought to be a million dollars a year, and I don't know what's wrong. I ain't going there, and I, ain't, I done preached that last Sunday. But we ought to be up close to a million, but we're not. We're around 550000 That's straining crossing the finish line at the end of the year. Well... That's eight ministries, and some of those ministries do on campus. You say, well, Mike, do you have a vision beyond that? Absolutely. But you know what? When I look at the things that we're doing now, for example, and I've, I've thrown this out a couple of people, and, you know, I'm a visionary, and I, and I, and I go to bed with the vision. I wake up with vision and, and sometimes a, a vertigo, too. But I'd like to see us pay this $348,000 off we owe on this building. You say, could we do that? Well, if we had 350 people commit to give $1,000 over the next two years, it would be paid off. If I could get that on paper, then I could move on and, and, and if that was committed, you say, well, what would that mean? That means you'd either come up with $1,000 out of your pocket or $42 a month for two years. 350 people, it's done. You think we could do that? Oh, I think we could, but by golly, some of you ain't tithing now. I told you I wasn't going to get on that. You see, we ought to be a part of a ministry with a purpose. Do we have a purpose? I'll tell you what, I, I'm so purpose-filled and driven. I'm, I drive my own self crazy sometimes. Because I just believe, even though we're a ministry and we're top-heavy, the ministries that we got going here are God-centered ministries, and, and, and we're struggling with help and needing help, but at least God did it. We can't take the credit for it. When Jesus came on the scene in Matthew 9, 35 through 88, uh, 30, 38, he talked about four responsibilities of us at, that he had. One is to visualize. He said the harvest is great. How many of you look at your ministry and your church and the field in light of the harvest? I mean, yeah, you might look at it in support, and you might look at it at preaching, and you might look something for your youth. How about harvest? Jesus said, I see, and I look out, and the fields are white unto the harvest. He had a vision. But then we see that he agonized. Why? Because the workers were few. Is that any different today? Well, I understand that our 
recreation department and we've started it for the purpose of reaching kids and and hopefully the coaches have enough gunction and unction and encouraged to share jesus with the kids but you know we're short on umpires and by the way we're paying our umpires and we're short i don't get that it doesn't matter whether you're running four thousand like hebron and vicula which we went to a, a meeting, staff meeting, and heard how, how they did all their things. Or a black pastor I talked with last week, he said they had a membership of about 30 or 40, and they're meeting somewhere up on Access Road. And he looked at me, and he said, Mike, how do you get the people committed? <laughs> I said, I don't know, but when you write the book, I want to read it. Apart from the Holy Spirit stirring us up, now, I'll tell you what, when I think about within a year's time, Lanny going to meet Jesus and Terry down right now in Rockdale County Hospital, Jason and I have been kind of looking at one, not only because we're just the only two, but we're going, good night. We might all get our act together here or something. But if God takes us down, the alternative ain't nothing but good. What better place would you want to be than with Jesus? Surely he's got enough workers up there. Well, and then our our plan is to evangelize and to disciple. There are a lot of churches that are like the airplane pilot who came on the loudspeaker and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that our navigational equipment has malfunctioned. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going, but we're making excellent time. How many of you here today don't know where you're going spiritually with Jesus? How many of you don't have a clue? And you've been in, the, you've been in church life all these years, but yet somebody will say, what you doing in the church? Uh, you go, uh, 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 well, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, uh. And you don't think the church is not important? You don't know Jesus. Boy, I got a preacher there coming on by me. You know, the average church really don't know where they're going, don't know where they've been, and, and, and they don't actually have, But I'm going to tell you what, I don't want Solid Rock Baptist Church to be an average church. And when it comes to what I'm finding out, you know, even in, in this church, we're still finding members that are stubborn as a, a Missouri mule about doing church work, sly as a fox in their own business deals, busy as a bee spreading the latest gossip, quiet as a mouse spreading the gospel of Jesus, blind as a bat to see the needs of others. They have the eyes of a hawk to see the faults of a few. They're eager as a beaver as about a barbecue, but lazy as a dog about prayer meetings and things of power. They roar like a lion when things just don't go to suit them. They're gentle as a lamb when they need the preacher of the church, especially if they need money. Noisy as a blue jay when they're calling on the church advice. Timid as a kitten about talking to the lost. Slow as a snail about visiting absentee and shut-ins. Night owls on Saturday night. Bed bugs on Sunday morning. Slippery as eels on Sunday evenings. And scarce as hen teeth when they say, you know what, we need some help you say Mike this is getting under my skin I hope it gets into your heart I hear people go out every once in a while say I just stepped on my toes I wasn't aiming for your toes you can walk on the bottom of your feet and your toes on top hurting 
I'm aiming with the Holy Spirit right down to the bottom of your soul. Isn't it about time you sit on your backside long enough, it's numb, and you don't know what to do? Don't bring me down just a little bit. I'm convicting myself. Well, I just believe the church is for the weak and the women. Old tough guys don't need to have anything to do with the church. Look, a Christian without a church is like a student without a school, a soldier without an army, a salesman without customers, a seaman without a ship, author without readers, parent without family, football player without a team, and a bee without a hive. Guess what happens to bees that don't have a hive? Absolutely, they die. Matthew 16, Jesus said this, Upon this rock I will build, here it is, my church. Well, I just don't believe the church is important. You tell Jesus that. And he says, Upon this rock, the rock of Jesus, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's some good protection. The church is not a store to furnish hammocks for the lazy or a refrigerator for preserving the chosen frozen few. It's an equipping house that ought to be where you and I pull together and we, we learn how to deal with the handle life's load and the strength, meet, have the strength and courage to meet life's difficulties. And I'm going to tell you what, here lately we've been seeing those. I'm only going to preach two points. That was just the introduction. I need two hours on this one. Anyway, number one, if we're going to have a ministry that's purpose-driven, first of all, it has to be people who follow leadership with a purpose. Follow leadership. <clears throat> Jason and I was talking about it, and I said, Jason, who leads a battalion? And he told me the first part, but I forgot it, but it involves something to general. Is it lieutenant general? Where's Jason? He probably, he's over to the other part. Well, I said, what, when the general barks orders... And he tells the battalion what to do. What are the battalion leaders supposed to do? He said, I'll tell you real quick. To know the intent of the general. You see, we have leaders today that when we give orders, they want to do what they want to do. Yeah, join the military. I want to shoot the gun that I want to shoot. I want to shoot it whoever I want to shoot. I want to do this. I want to do that. And bless God, I'm mad at you if I don't get what I want to do. Boy, you'd make a good soldier. The first staff meeting, they'd do you in. You see, it's important that you learn to follow leadership. And to the first uh, point in leadership is follow the leader. You see... Adrian Rogers, I think, was correct when he says anything with no head is dead and anything that two, has two heads is a freak. The church has one head, and his head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's placed within his church a man and the ministry and the message and the mission through the pastor. The pastor is immediately accountable to the church. The pastor is ultimately accountable to God and God alone. He will not answer to a board in Nashville. He will not answer to the domination or participation or any participators or participation or affiliation. He stands before God one day, and he'll give an account of everything he's ever said, any sermon he's ever preached. 
any sin that he's committed. He's going to give an account of it. The pastor's been given full authority under God to lead the flock, to feed the flock. But, you know, I know I'm not a Lord, and I don't want to be a dictator, but I am a leader. And I'm a leader with vision. And the people that I want working with me and around me are people who know how to follow under chain of command. And you want to know what I respect? If Jason barks an order, then follow it. Now, if I say, I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. All the ushers are going to pass out cups, and we're going to drink Kool-Aid. You do not have to follow that order. I'm not Jim Jones. You do not have to die drinking poison for me. Hebrews 13 talks about four specific commands of the church given as a a congregation for your leaders. Number one, remember them, verse seven, that rule over you, that is, that govern over you, oversee, preside. You know, some people get so hung up on, I want to be a leader so I have power. I don't want power. I just don't believe it's a good thing. Jesus is the power that I want. The Holy Spirit is the power that I want to follow. I've already told you, if I didn't tell you last Sunday, I'll tell you this morning. If I, when I die and go to hearon and he gets up there and Jesus says, what you want to do? I said, I want to follow somebody. I'm tired of leading. We need to not only remember them, which is to, res, to uh, respect your leaders, but it says in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, to obey them which rule over you, that is to submit to them, to follow them, and then thirdly, to pray for them, <clears throat> for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. And fourthly, we need to salute them. What's that mean? That means to honor them. It means to have a bit of respect. Today, there's very little respect of the public and police today. I don't understand that. There's very little respect out in the world today for the preachers in the pulpit. Now, I can understand some of that. I really can. But understand, while the shepherd holds, is held accountable, the sheep have a responsibility to remember the shepherd in the ways that I just suggested. You know, I know some of you wrote this. Somebody in here wrote this because what I'm reading is anonymous. But here's what you wrote describing the perfect pastor. He preaches 20 minutes and then sits down. Don't you dare amen that. He condemns sin, but he never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning until 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. He makes $400 per week, gives $100 a week to the church, drives a late model car, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. He's tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and handsome. His eyes are of blue or brown, wears his hair parted in the middle, left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor finds, that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing non-members, and is always found in his study if he's needed. Unfortunately, he burned himself out and died died at age 32. 
The second thing is very important is not just following leadership with a purpose, but being a faithful laborer who serves. You see, God called us to minister. He called us to serve. And my question to you is today, where are you serving? You see, too many of us are like the early church. Acts, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says, In those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there rose a murmuring of Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom that we may appoint over this business. I don't know of a pastor that don't use that in a deacon when he's choosing deacon, or, but that is not a reference to deacons. It's a reference to those who they're looking among them in finding people that will serve in a table laborer row. Get that, would you? The seeker-friendly church says, we'll just take anybody and just let them serve whatever. After all, it's just a serving tables, but that's not what it says here. It says here about God's business that they are, uh, as you look at them, they have, the, they have a spiritual quality even to wait on a, a, a table and serve the, the, the membership. And that would be honest report. That means they mean men of integrity, women of integrity, character, and honest. They need a good reputation. It says that they should be full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost to serve tables? Yes. I got up this morning, I said, and I've been praying this for the last three months. I said, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And some of you are saying, well, now, I don't understand why you need to be filled. I'll tell you why you need to be filled, because you leak. There are some of you allowing your mind, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet to go and do things that I promise you the Holy Spirit is not happy with, and therefore he doesn't participate. He won't bail out on you. He won't leave. But you'll be dulled in your spirit. You'll be dulled in your ability to be keen and have the things and have the wisdom. That's the third thing. Wisdom means that you can operate and that you can deal with things that God entrusts you with, with not anger and frustration and not, not retaliation, but have wisdom where you are a person that can deal with controversy. Why do you think the Bible says that a person with novice has no business in the pulpit. You know what it means to be novice? It's talking about somebody that really just don't know the word. They don't have a clue what's going on. They just want to be, oh, they, they got this power issue going on. You see, today, churches... They pull men in, and no one of the churches don't go you know, where they're complacent. They have no vision. They're doing nothing. They have no desire to do anything. They don't seek a, a, to touch their communities or cities. And let me tell you something. You're not just called to sit in this church or sit in a Bible study class. If you're not touching your community, if you don't have some sort of impact around you, then why in the world have a church taking up space? Let's just formulate a bowling alley. We'll call it. Christian, solid rock 
lane, alley lane. Why take up a spot if you're not going to have an impact on your environment around you? <clears throat> I've shared this story, and it kind of gets a bit tongue-twisting, but wrap your mind around it if you can stay up with it because it has a message. The story is about four people in the church. Their names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done in the church. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about, about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Now, here's the question. Are you a part of the everybody that's waiting on somebody to do what anybody can do but nobody's doing? Or are you somebody who's doing what everybody thought anybody could do but nobody would have done if you weren't doing it? You're sitting there saying, Mike, I can't figure out what in the world I'm supposed to do now. You know, there are some of you that God's stirring in your heart you may have a big question. You're sitting there going, I, I don't understand why God has allowed Terry to go down. Well, you know what? I don't either. But I'll tell you what. For four, five, six years, however long he's been working with it, he's trained up a band to come up and take their boots, uh, britches up by the bootstrap and not use that as an excuse, but to do the best they can to serve their Jesus for you. My question is, is it going to take you getting cancer before you get serious with God? Why don't you get serious while you're well? <laughs> Why don't you serve him when you got a sound mind? Why do you want to wait till you get to your deathbed and beg God to heal you before you do something for him? Why? In Canada, they have what they call a horse pull. One horse can pull 9,000 pounds and another horse can pull 8,000 pounds. But when they put the two horses together, they found out that each horse could pull 30,000 pounds. The principle is called synergism. The simultaneous action of separate agents working together has a greater total effect than, it, than their individual effects. In other words, more can be done by a team than one alone. You see, so it is with the work of the ministry in the house of God. Everybody is somebody in God's house. Every member has a part. Once everybody finds their part, does their part, it may not look that at that particular moment everything's being accomplished, maybe the way you think it ought to be, but the work will have been achieved. Not because you're a solo horse, but because you've pulled your efforts together and you have allowed yourself to become a team player. I got news for you. If you can't become a team player, you will be a sorry leader. You hear me? Because it ain't about you as a leader. It's about Jesus formulating in unity and him forming a team to serve him, not me, serve him. 
I think someone well put this. We're not here to be gossiping about one another, but growing one another. We're not here to put one another down, but we're here to pick one another up. It's a team effort. It does not rest solely upon the shoulders of the pastor. If the church is to minister, the church has to become ministers. When the complainers quit complaining and the murmurers quit murmuring and the backbiters quit backbiting and gossipers quit gossiping, preachers start preaching, deacons start deacon, teachers start teaching, singers start singing, ministers start ministering, servants start serving, God starts taking charge. And my friend, you have a church with a ministry that has a purpose. Because Jesus came to this earth with a great big picture of purpose. The problem is you and I sometimes get our nose to the window seal and we can't see nothing but us. And it ain't about you. It's about the people that aren't here today. I don't like to make you feel guilty, but when is the last time you ever invited anybody to church? Are you so caught up in all of what you're doing and about your business that that Satan has got you sidetracked, that you can't even consider the fact that there is a lost and dying world going on around us? This isn't just all about what sermons I preach or, or what you have to listen to or songs that are sung. It isn't just about that. Some of you need to wake up and realize that God put you next door to some neighbors. And they could be lost. When my mama died and we had her service that Sunday, I got an opportunity to preach the gospel, and, and some of my neighbors were there. He's a pilot. And, and you know what? Ever since I preached that, I ain't seen him. <laughs> I've been trying to get him out in the yard and say, you know what I said in that sermon? I can't find him. He disappeared. <laughs> With your head bowed and your eye closed.